0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. You know, when you're the Flag Smashers heading across Europe in the pursuit of making the world a better place according to your perspective, the one thing you want, no matter where your home may be, is insurance. That's why this week's episode of Everything is Super, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is presented by Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. world outside your window may be far from ordinary but here everything is falcon great as we were talking about all things the falcon and the winter soldier here on posho Recap. hello everybody mike bloom here to break down episode two the one third mark on the falcon and the winter Soldier. surprisingly but we have enough content to fill a third of a season of regular tv and then some as we're going to get into everything from this jam-packed second episode of the falcon and the winter soldier i'm here with a a great trio total you can call us the big three we if you are want the to. big three well in yeah, fact I you know like what? kevin, kevin, kevin mahadeo you're the you're the most senior uh, on this podcast i'm gonna give you a choice do you want to be the android the alien or the wizard
2: i mean i feel like it's obvious just from so us and even just seeing what name you have up on here right now, you are clearly the android. I am the alien. Latanya is the wizard. Like there's, this is this is this is spoken for us. Fate has determined these things. I think already we are we it is ordained.
0: Yeah, and Latanya, no hat needed from your perspective. I think you're fine. No, I'm good without the hat. Yeah, it's it's not really a spring accessory anyway. Yeah, though I will say, uh, you know. While the uh, while Sam likes to poke fun at the fact that w- sorcerers are wizards without hats, I think if you check <laughs> out the the parent company of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Sorcerer's Apprentice, you find that hats are often included. If you go to uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios, as for example, you might see that hats are in fact part of the iconography of wizards and sorcerers.
1: Well, I cannot wait to write that strongly worded letter to Marvel Studios to let them know this. Yeah, let's like, do it
2: listen here y'all just really do the push up the glasses situation guess, seriously, yeah, here here's you. what we
0: have going on your hat uh, blasphemy can yeah. stand no longer but let's put that away <laughs> let's put it on a hat rack because we have so much stuff to get into in this episode i mean i'm gonna say off top you know i think that the first episode probably felt more cohesive to me i'll get into it later on but i, th- I think there was certainly some feedback from people about how you know, they felt a little disappointed that, that we abandoned or at least put, put away for a bit some of the really nice character stuff, background material that we saw in the first episode. So I would say if we're comparing these two episodes, maybe the, the whole piece of episode one, I liked more, but I loved the pieces in episode two. They were so, so much fun. To watch and so meaningful to watch between the new characters, the team up that finally happened, the storylines that might be coming down the way. So I gotta say, again, we're a third of the way through the season, and I have been nothing but thumbs up on it so far. Kevin, what say you?
2: I mean, yes, I I'm really loving the show. I said my hot take at the beginning of this is that I might be enjoying it a little more than Wanda Vision, but we'll see where it all ends up ultimately, right? That's where it, that's where it is. But I don't, I don't. I don't know if I fully agree with the, the, like, we, like, I think we lost a little bit of the character stuff, but they did a lot of establishing of the character's individual world and where they are at the moment. And I'm certain we're gonna go back to parts of, especially, you know, the, the stuff going on with Sam's family. But, Mm -hmm. but to draw, to draw a parallel to a book mentioned here, The Hobbit, he leaves the Shire. You have to establish the Shire to start and here's what's going on in the Shire, and here's the world that's established there, and then he has to leave, go on an adventure with a group of people, and come back changed to the Shire, and things will be different. And I feel like that's what we're having here, is that you you do the establishing beats for their characters and where they were. You have them interact and go on this journey, because I think we did, we do get character stuff. It's just a different type of character stuff. Mm -hmm. And the things we got, I really loved. I mean, this is sort of what I was really... Hoping for going into the show is the interplay between uh, Bucky and Sam, just because both Anthony Mackie and um, I, I can't believe I'm blanking Sebastian on his Sebastian, thing. Stan. Sebastian Stan. Thank you, uh, the the as as mentioned from from the Covenant. <laughs> um, <laughs> both of them, like both in the previous movie, they had these moments, but even behind the scenes, we in interviews, they have such great chemistry and interplay between each other, and it really. I think shown in this, their ability to to kind of comedy duo it, I thought was really good. Their moment of just staring at each other. I actually thought was really great because there was a lot in their eyes, like in the acting in that moment, I was actually like really impressed with, with how much they said without saying at first. Um, so a lot of that stuff I really like the character beats are there. And yes, I, I do think we should, we need to go back to the other stuff that was established certainly throughout because there are other pieces that <laughs> just aren't, all focused on Sam and Bucky, but the stuff we got here I really, really, really liked, and not just them. I mean, we'll get to the the John Walker stuff, which I'm excited to talk about as well.
0: Yeah, uh, Latanya, are you like the marching band at the beginning? Gonna gonna toot the <laughs> horn for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier two episodes in?
1: That was not a high school marching band, by the way. No. That was very much a college marching band from like an HBCU. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, whatever. It's Good Morning America. Straight, straight out of Nick Cannon's drumline. Seriously. <laughs> good lord. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in forever. Um, but I, I'm really excited about everything going forward. I I also like to think that, uh, you know, even though there's more explicit character beats kind of set up in episode one, that, you know, each of the things that we see in these episodes are character uh, moments. Even in the action sequences, because the way that people react under pressure, the way that people react um in situations like this is a big determinant of what their character will be or is. And I think that we're, you know, they're setting that up in terms of what they're doing with U.S. Agent. They're uh, setting that up with both uh, Bucky and Sam. And I also I just want to say that I'm really excited to see the type of um Interactions that we see between Bucky and Sam in this episode. Um, the, the therapy, uh, scene, which I know that we'll get to is great. Um, the like actual like staring at each other, like looking at each other that Kevin talks about is fantastic, but also just kind of like, um, kind of on the boundary of like queering the characters in a way is mm-hmm. really interesting because there's a lot. About masculinity specifically associated with, you know, these types of shows and, and, uh, characters. But there's also a lot about like black masculinity, which I think, um, uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on this now. <laughs> um, Anthony Mackey, mm-hmm. uh, has explored in this work, is exploring in this work and explored in, uh, the Black Mirror episode yeah. that he did as well. Striking yeah. Bikers. Uh, yeah. Which I think is just fantastic and something that people need to see along with what is really a dense, very packed uh, historical and contemporary representation of what it's like to deal with systems and be a black person in America.
0: Mm, so I feel like by the end of this episode, we sort of have three sides as it were right we sort of have uh the good side the bad side and the max power side which is just the bad side but faster uh but Isn't I, I that wanna... Homer's
2: plow name yeah, exactly uh
0: <laughs> no it's it's his, it's his fake name after his he has name, a, yeah. after he yeah. has a character also in a uh, you know a, a like a crime crime fighting twosome, some uh completely mocked but speaking of that crime fighting twosome, some i want to stay on the note of the falcon and the winter soldier cuz uh, we got that team up right that that we had sort of been waiting for this entire time and yeah to, to sort of go back to what kevin said i mean this is the reason for the show right they said that the entire reason Mm -hmm. why the show is happening is because anthony mackie and sebastian stan had such good chemistry so you're left wondering like okay was it worth this entire series and now that we've had even an episode of it i 100 think it was it was definitely it's, it's terrific and malcolm spellman who's the showrunner for this Give a really fantastic interview on uh, TV's Top Five, which is a podcast that uh, Dan Feinberg and Leslie Goldberg do with the Hollywood Reporter. We'll link it in the show notes. Be sure to check it out. But one thing he said is that he, when he was sort of basing the tone on specifically the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, the two characters, he was he was really looking at like the OG Lethal Weapon, and I mm. very much got that tone uh, sure. between the two the two guys in this episode, Kevin.
2: Oh yeah, and I think it's it, it's it's the strong suit of the buddy cop stuff that that works it feels weird being buddy cop considering everything but the the the, the buddiness of it all i think it is the, the strong suit here and and seeing that interaction and it is very lethal weapon lethal weapon is i think one of the prime examples of it it's part of the reason i really love the the finale of iron man three is because we got such great interplay between uh Rhodey and tony like they felt so real in their interactions in that moment, and they're 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 kind of ribbing on each other, and we have that here in just such fantastic degree. With the like, oh, you come out of Wakanda, and you're now White Panther, and it's like, well, actually, it's White Wolf, huh? <laughs> like, just like stuff like that is so great. They're they're like, oh, look at you all stealthy, and then like him sneaking up next to him and just be like, what the. Like that moment. I I love I love
0: uh just in the middle while they're while they're hiding in the warehouse, like, Hello, how are you? Yeah. What did I miss? Like they're just so snarky with each other in the middle of this mission. It's it's just fantastic. It goes about it goes about as well as you can expect.
1: It it he has the exact attitude of a hundred and six year old man. He's just like,
0: This is annoying.
1: I can't (laughs) believe I have to be here for this. What (laughs) is happening? Leave me alone, get technology out of my face.
2: I mean, I I've liked Falcon you know from go and i liked bucky a lot in that first movie from the scenes we got and ever since then uh especially in the rewatch you've heard me talk about like he's just not the best but just as a character he was not he's not my thing right like i know that that character type does it for a lot of people uh but this version of bucky <laughs> the haircut B- Kid from Brooklyn style making <laughs> jokes. This is the moment. This is this is the this is the Thor Ragnarok for me. Where mm. I was like, Oh mm. yes, I understand why people like Chris Hemsworth in that way. This is the moment of just like, Ah yes, I get why I, the, the buckiness I I, I see can't it. believe so, it
1: took it. you that long to realize why people might stand stand
0: i mean is That's, it but is it is, is is, did you un- did you unlock the secret though kevin from your perspective do long-haired characters have to get a haircut and become funny for you to be like <laughs> oh no i get it i understand I think for
2: me thor was always pretty amusing right but like yes i think the level of where he hit and thor ragnarok was, was it for me and uh, the, haircut. the haircut i think it's just that style yeah like works uh the long hair can work um you know the long like- hair work. Yeah, uh, well, just for, say, for some I'll people, just put that yeah, out there. <laughs> for some people, for some people, it was very, it was very My Chemical Romance. And listen, I still love My Chemical Romance, but I really liked My Chemical Romance at a certain age, and then that sort of shifted in terms of like what my, uh <laughs> what I like, and now. You know, it's a little bit different. Gerard Way, you know, I, I, actually, no, I think his hair is still long. Never mind. Carrying on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was
0: a young man, my father took me into the city and then I got frozen several hundred times. Uh, the, the, the Falcon and Bucky stuff, we're going to talk about, I think about a lot of the, the conflict packed into it. But just from a humor perspective, I totally agree with what you both said. It's there. I, I had two laugh out loud moments in this episode. One was, uh, Bucky trying to do like the steve rogers swan dive out of the plane and just completely <laughs> eating it through the trees and the other one which i really loved i mean my favorite scene out of all of this was the stuff in baltimore which i think will really unpack but mm-hmm. i just love the exchange of sam and the kid with black falcon you know yeah. what is it because i'm black and i'm the falcon well technically yes okay well then do i call you black kid I don't know. I, I feel like it's a bit of a shot of Marvel poking fun at both itself and you know, uh, hurtling a shot across across the way, Latanya, of like, hey, a company that you know still p- puts out a show called Black Lightning and puts a Justice League Megan called Black Vulcan, like that's yeah. not okay. No, yeah, I, I just Black Adam, just keep you know, all of it, uh, but also
1: j- a shot at the way that people are credited in movies and TV because it's mm. very uh, possible that you you know when you're writing uh You don't give everyone na- a name if they're like, you know, they just have one line. And so they could very well be credited as black kid. Mm-hmm. Uh So, yeah, I thought that that was funny on multiple. There are levels to the jokes, which I appreciate as well.
2: And I love the fact that it, that it has changed now, right? Like now he is Falcon. Now he is just Goliath. But like, yeah, it's true. It used to be like he's still Black Panther, but that sort of. Makes sense, because a Black Panther is a thing in that world. Yeah, and that's know? the mantle, yeah. yeah,
1: That part makes sense, but uh, naming all of your Black characters, Black, insert, you know, other yeah. name here.
2: And it yeah, carries through to modern day, because like people, and this is what you're saying, right, the credit of what people do, and I think it is not lost on any of us here that people were referring to Sam as the Black Captain America, as opposed mm-hmm. to just Captain America, and this mm-hmm. is as soon as Probably this week, like you know, like this is a thing that 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 is still happening and that we're seeing um, 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 permeate through our culture, and hopefully, will slowly start to get pushed away. Especially with a scene like this, which can easily, I you know, easily dialogue out. Like this is why this makes no sense. Uh, it shouldn't need it. But for some people, I guess they need it. Um So like having these moments, having these things that you can point to to be like, yes, this, this is the reason why uh, I think is really great to include amongst it's, everything else yeah. in Baltimore.
1: They need it. I mean, it, this is the most, I think we can say that this is the most political show that or, you know, content that Marvel, the MCU has produced.
0: Absolutely. You
1: know, it's, it's kind of the most radically political and it's Disney, so there's only so far that it's going to go. But it is necessary uh, to have these types of conversations and to have people uncomfortable and confronted with their uncomfortability and wonder why they are uncomfortable in the first place. Especially when you have such a large audience as this show is is garnering. I mean, the ratings are kind of like off the charts to the point where they're like crashing Disney+. Plus.
0: Yeah, much like Bucky through the trees. Well, th- on that note, <laughs> I, I want to I wanna stay in Baltimore because Isaiah Bradley made yes. his debut in the MCU. And obviously, you know, there was a lot of context brought in through the show, but I think some people might not necessarily know the background on the character proper, who is from the comics, and in particular uh the, the series truth c- colon red white and black which the character was introduced in so we'll we'll go to kevin's comic corner here i feel like it's been a while since we've well, we've done on. this yeah, talk <laughs> to me about talk to me about isaiah bradley here
2: yeah so this is this is a really important story to to start off right it's a seven issue uh limited series that was released by marvel in the early 2000s um just want to make sure i credit the writer and artist it was written By Robert Morales and drawn by Kyle Baker, uh, the legendary Kyle Baker. Um, And it is it is a story that really draws from history and paints this uh, a picture of what America was and like the the truth bringing into the fiction. So basically, Isaiah Bradley, after uh, Captain America was basically gone. Um, the United States government, in conjunction with other governments, were just like, we need to figure out how to make more super soldiers, because the guy who made the formula died. Uh, we mm-hmm. all saw it. We all saw poor Stanley Tooch get Tooched out. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> what a big night. Big night. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: He's been man. edged out for a lot of things lately. He's not the most. I know. Attractive he's not the sexiest bald, bald, bald
2: man. Uh, what's yeah. happening? Well, what's, what's going on there? Because, like, Come on, for Tucci. sure. Also, Larry David is right there. Come on, guys. Know, but <laughs> um, though, though, we can
0: say, is he the sexiest bald man in the MCU or does Obadiah
2: Stane take him over? Oh, no, definitely Stanley Tucci. Come on. Yeah. Now. Like, Obadiah Stane has, like, the a good look to him, obviously. Like, it, it's that, that classic look, but. Stanley Tucci is, is, is untouchable. <laughs> um, I guess, n- no, he, he is because he, he did get Tucci, like I mentioned in Captain America First Adventure. But anyway, uh, he, his character, Erkstein, invented the Super Social Serum. He died. And with him, the actual formula was lost. So the United States government and a bunch, bunch of other governments wanted to recreate the formula. And they tried. And naturally gave the formula and experimented on black Americans, especially. I think, I don't know. I don't remember it's exclusively, but. Yeah. uh, It was. It was
1: was a a group of black soldiers. I think there were 300 of them. Yes. Yeah. Originally. And
0: and they they took like a selective group and they killed the others uh, and and injected them with super soldier serum.
2: Right. And only a handful survived uh, to begin with from. The formula being administered so a bunch of a bunch of people died because of these experiments this is of course drawing which we'll get to and i will pass it to latania to talk about the tuskegee experiments which are infamous as a uh, reality sad reality and um to this story so isaiah bradley was one of the people who survived the, the super soldier serum the new version worked um <laughs> temporarily i guess uh for him and he gained these powers and he ended up uh stealing The uh, captain of Captain America suit and shield and going behind enemy lines because this is all taking place in the 1940s during World War II. um, Fought some Nazis uh, and and actually saved a bunch of people. Like he he did an amazing thing to help uh, in the war efforts, but naturally um, the U.S. government wanted covering a lot of it up. One, like like Mike said, killed everyone else involved, including commanding officers who were knowledgeable about the situation, and then locked Bradley up because he Mm. stole government uh, equipment. So he Mm said they sent him to jail. Uh, And this is sort of what's hinted at a little bit here, right? Like we get a little touches of that as we're introduced to the character. They obviously changed the timelines a bit, but that's totally fine. Marvel does it all the time as mentioned. Um, But this is, this is what they did here to this character. What could be considered quote unquote, the first black captain America, if we're going to use that, which we shouldn't, he was, he was the next captain America. Um, and they locked him up and they and they wanted to erase him and they wanted to erase the memory and knowledge of what they did. And that is reality here, especially for all of us, in which I think we are so quick to to either erase the history of the things we've done or barely acknowledge it as a form of memory and then continue onwards, as a, as opposed to like Latanya said, sitting in it in the uncomfortableness and really digesting and thinking about it and having that you know really shape how we should be looking at the future as informed by the past as opposed to just oh yes we will remember history but then never really do anything about it again um and so that's that's a quick rundown on isaiah bradley but there's another part of this that i did want to talk about but before that i do want to hand it over to Latanya to talk about uh the real life part of this the tuskegee uh syphilis study
1: yeah, the infamous syphilis study, uh, it began, this is according to history.com. And I have a couple of other things I want to talk about too, because prison experimentation is still very much, uh, an issue, which is just an example of how we have not learned our history nor learned from our history. So, uh, in 1932, there was no known treatment for syphilis, uh, which is a contagious venereal disease. Um, and being promised the free medical care, 600 black men in Macon County, Alabama, were enrolled in a study to study the progression of the disease. Uh, but these people were primarily sharecroppers. They'd never seen a doctor before. Um, we're talking about like rural areas in the United States in the 1930s. My grandmother was born in uh Mississippi in nineteen thirty-six and did not see a doctor, I don't believe, until she formally until she was 18 years old. That's just kind of how things worked uh and sometimes still work in the South. Um and so they had uh informed the participants uh uh that 399 of them kind of would be or not inform the participants that 399 of them would be given kind of like the disease latently and wouldn't receive any treatment whatsoever. Uh, And the control group of 201 people would kind of be free of the disease and treated for bad blood, which was the term that was commonly used uh, to describe a variety of things. The men were monitored, uh, but it was like a study that went on for years and years, 15 years into the study. Um, they were finally starting to like make some strides, I guess, to track the disease's progression. Um, it wasn't until like the mid 1960s when there was a a public health service venereal disease investigator in San Francisco named Peter Buxton that found out about the Tuskegee study and expressed concerns that it was unethical. And in response, the officials formed a committee to review the study, but you know, they did not do anything to actually stop the study from occurring. Uh, it wasn't until 1972 that the story actually broke in the in the news uh, by Gene Heller of the Associated Press. And at that time, 28 participants had died from syphilis, 100 passed away from related complications, and 40 um, of the spouses of these people had been diagnosed with the disease and passed it on to 19 children at birth. So that's just the Tuskegee study. Uh, it doesn't really stop there when it comes to prison inmate experimentation. Um, from best psychology degrees, there was, uh, in San Quentin, uh, prison in California, uh, essentially there from 1913 to 1951, this doctor named Leo Stanley, who was the chief surgeon there, used prisoners as test subjects for a variety of bizarre medical experiments. That includes sterilization and potential treatments for the Spanish flu. Um, And Stanley also performed testicular operations on living patients um, using testicles from executed patients and some from goats and boars, which I can't even begin to think of what the scientific value of that would be. But if you think, okay, that that was then and this is now in June of uh, 2018, according to the Harvard Civil uh, Rights and Civil Liberties Law Journal, the New York Times reported that there was a proposal by the Hypertension um, Researchers uh, Society of America and the FDA that would essentially lead to a large-scale random clinical trial measuring the effects of different salt intake levels on diverse populations. And they proposed that this would be conducted on 10 to 20,000 prisoners over the course of 5 years. Um the, the so it's something that still is very much an issue in uh the medical community. It's you know people are still for example benefiting from the science that was born on the backs of conscripted people mm-hmm. uh and those people in a lot of ways as, uh, in a lot of these instances were black. You know the first Real gynecological studies were done on slaves without any type of anesthesia or consent, uh, and the Tuskegee experiment is probably the most popular. Even though there are still lots of people who have not learned and did not learn about this, in, in their history classes from uh, you know grammar school through college, so it's it's still very much disturbing and uh, something that is a part so much of part of our history and so much a part of the medical community that it causes black people to be afraid of doctors uh, today.
0: Yeah. And and I think that, you know, Isaiah even makes reference to that outright in the episode. It's not even just referenced in the, in the source material. He says, you know, I was locked up for 30 years, people running tests, taking my blood coming into my cell. He seems to reference the fact, which Bucky will take and run with at the end there, that it seems like both the government and Hydra were interested in him so it it really did seem like despite everything that he went through even during the war efforts while he was still in prison they were still doing things with him as well it seems like they still had interest of like okay steve rogers is god knows where bucky barnes we don't know what's happened with him this is a genuine super soldier let's see if we can you know futz with this guy that we have in our hands
2: And there's levels to all of this, right? Like the idea, too, of like the actual Tuskegee experiments. There's like so many evidence of this. There's stuff in the 50s, I believe, that happened in Connecticut. There's like a ton of this stuff. This idea that essentially, especially black bodies, you just see them as that bodies, right? And you can just Mm -hmm. experiment and do what you will on them. And this is a good example of also the disregard for what happens afterwards. The idea of Mm. we injected this person with a super soldier serum, therefore, he must belong to the US government. Certainly, his blood is theirs, is owning trying to own him like there's the subtleties in the actions and and, and things that come out of this that is kind of clear to you know like looking at the subtext of it all and then even with the tuskegee experiments they had they made so many promises right always with the promises the promises of medical treatment that that a lot of them never i don't think any of them ever received no. um, afterwards there's just so much in there and not even to mention the after effects because we see now the effects also in this scene of the, the toll is taken on Isaiah. In the comics, there's a lot more. They weren't able to to recreate the super soldier serum perfectly because that, that's like a thing, right? Um, and there were detrimental effects. Isaiah Bradley in the comics suffered mental uh, deterioration over time because of the experiments, because of the serum. Um, and so, like, there's the terrible stuff that comes out of it. There is... Uh, the, the, I don't want say that's a good thing to come out of it because theres all of it is, is is a lot of terrible stuff. There are obviously the brighty some bright shiningness in like what he was able to do, but also in the other character I wanted to talk about that was introduced in this scene, which for a brief moment, we are introduced to his grandson, Elijah Bradley, and for comic book fans, that name uh is probably setting off some alarms because Elijah Bradley is known as Patriot who is a member of the Young Avengers. Ooh.
0: Oh, so that's what, like number number four of the Young Avengers that, that we've been introduced to so far?
2: <laughs> they are here. So, introducing Elijah, I think one is setting up the Young Avengers, but Elijah as well has uh, powers because of it. Now, comics are wonky stuff. There's a whole thing where, how did he get the powers? And there's like, oh, well, immune growth hormones, but then he actually got a transfusion. I think they're going to skip the immune growth hormone stuff because we don't need another storyline about a black American taking drugs. We can just hop right over that stuff and just have it be like, you know, a transfusion or, you know, uh, um, a biological, you know, descent. So the setup here of having Elijah Bradley coming out as a young Avengers while in the future is really, really awesome. So they're setting up these little bits and pieces for that, I think. And that was, that was really cool to see because I was just like, ooh. Ooh, yet another one. There it's happening. You know, like it's all coming together. Exactly. Um, I love yeah. it when a plan comes together. I, love oh, it. On, I, on that I want a
1: flashback, by the way.
0: Of uh Isaiah Bradley fighting Bucky. That's Ooh. what I would like to see. Yeah, because so again, a little bit of a deviation from the comics. Yeah, I don't know if Isaiah in this case his origin story still took place in the forties because it looks like he was still being used in the fifties in the mm-hmm. in the Korean War. That's where he comes into contact with Bucky. I mean, on that note, I, I do wonder because when you bring in Carl Lumbly, when you bring in, you know, the great voice behind John Jones on various uh DC animated series to play this character, and he has a sensational opening scene. Like, God, I love the power that he brought to Isaiah just in like the scene we were introduced. I mean, you you have to wonder, Latanya, what what are, give me a percent chance that at least Sam is going to come back and and talk to him, you know, because this is pretty shattering news for this guy.
1: Yeah, I think that there's probably a ninety percent. I'd say uh, I'm putting the odds up there just because I don't think that you will just introduce Carl Lumley and then just go away and never talk about him again. Uh, I think that there's going to be some kind of reckoning for Sam that happens in later act of this, and in order to you know, reckon with your present and your future, you have to revisit your past. And so he's going to have to go back to the person
2: who kind of started it all for him. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that's Isaiah Bradley. And I think there's thematic stuff there for it almost half to happen, right? You have this idea where there was a Captain America who was black and they tried to erase it. They took it away in the same way that they sort of, while they didn't take the shield away from him, literally this time, Uh, they took, they had the shield and they gave it to someone else. And I think just in terms of Sam finding out there was someone like this and the impact that can have and the impact it would have had on the black community. I think that's motivation too, for like the idea of like Sam needing to pick up that shield because it's not just a representation of what, you know, Steve stood for in the war and what he stood for now. And like this idea of America as it was then it's also the idea of America now and of the future and what it can do to inspire um, you know uh, people like, like him. And I think that was part of the black Panther message, right? Like at the end of black Panther, the idea of inspiring uh, uh, another generation of kids to, to see someone like them out there on the front lines, I think it's extremely vital and important. So I can see this being such a big plot point to like come back around. And of course, then if they do bring in young Avengers or bring in Elijah, I think there's so much there. Uh, that's important. That idea, again, of representation mattering.
0: Yeah. And, and there's even echoes in the two characters dialogue where, you know, Isaiah and Bucky have that exchange where he's like, well, the reason why I let you in is because uh, I want to see if you'd kill me. And Bucky says, well, I'm, I'm not a killer, which, again, really hones in on, on some of the thematic stuff he was talking about in, in the previous episode. And Isaiah retorts that. He says, you think you can wake up one day and decide who you want to be? Doesn't work like that. Well, maybe it does for for folks like you. Yeah, which is, you know, pretty big underline. But then when we get to that really tense Meisner technique of Bucky and Sam staring at each other, uh, I definitely want to talk about the Bucky side of things in a little bit. But Sam responds saying, this is something you and Steve will maybe never understand. And I think the implications are there, right? Like, if I walk outside and raise my voice and the cops when they don't know who I am, try to profile me, how do you think the world is going to respond to a black Captain America? That's the implication that I got, at least in in that piece of dialogue that Sam exchanged. And so like you said, Kevin, there are generational echoes between these two men that I feel like it would be a huge missed opportunity for the series if we do not get at least one more encounter between these two guys. And Isaiah gets to sort of like pass down the the almost like the invisible shield to this guy to end things off.
2: And I like, I mean, the cop scene is is also, like, it, it, I'm glad it was in there for sure. But the thing I'm glad about, too, that I I I think they had it and there was a little bit, I mean, they could have emphasized a little more piece of it. But there is that idea, too, right? Where the cops are being cops and they find out that he's Sam Wilson. They realize, well, oh, this is Sam Wilson. It's just like, oh, I'm so sorry you're Sam Wilson. But that doesn't negate the fact of what you did not thinking it's Sam Wilson, that's not okay. Like the rest of it is still equally bad. Like the fact that if it wasn't Sam Wilson, where would it have gone from there? Like that doesn't like solve this issue. And I think that's so important. Um, You know, uh, I, I, I really like the show Brooklyn nine nine. And I have a lot of complicated feelings about it now for obvious reasons, Mm -hmm. but they had a really great episode where um, Terry Cruz's character gets you know he's in his own neighborhood and he gets pulled over by a cop and they question him and they first they do the whole thing and then the cop finds out that he is also a cop and he apologizes because he didn't know he was a cop and terry's entire thing the entire episode is like but that's not okay that doesn't that doesn't make it better that's still bad we need to do something about that and i think that emphasis of that stuff that 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 small part of it i think is so Good to call out and acknowledge in in these moments that it's not it's it's not okay on so many levels, and it's also,
1: you know, there's just a lot of subtext to it as well. So the they're having kind of a heated conversation in the street. It's immediately assumed that uh, that Sam is doing something to or like trying to to hurt uh, right. Bucky in
0: some that way. He's the aggressor.
1: Exactly. Because, you know, people view black people, especially black men, as aggressive. You know, it's the whole like, calm down, sir. And he's just asking, why do I need to show my ID? He's being calm. He's not being aggressive in any way. It's just the way that people view uh, black people differently um, in these types of situations. The way that they can so quickly uh, escalate out of control is also there. Um, it wasn't, if it wasn't for like his partner, <clears throat> and then Bucky saying, Do you know who this is? Um, as you know, Kevin was just saying, then it would have escalated a lot quickly. And then there's the turn there because who actually has a warrant out for their arrest? It's the white guy that does. Yeah. And they take him in in like the most solemn and respectful way that you could possibly imagine. That would not have happened if they were actually going to arrest Sam you know, they probably wouldn't even gotten to the point of arrest with him if we're following the trends, if we're following the statistics of what actually happens with cops when they stop Black people. So there's just so much that's a lot more political and a lot more of the time about this show than I was expecting there to be. Um, there's a lot of care that's being placed by the writers to make, to represent the experience that Black people have living in America um, under these particular types of situations, obviously this isn't like, you know, the Sam Falcon experience is not a universal black experience. <laughs> We're not all Avengers. Uh, but I mean, just in terms of like getting hassled by the police, uh, having history erased from us, being labeled as things that we are not, uh, just because it's more comfortable for people in the majority to do so. And we get back to that whole like, This is something that it is important not only for, in terms of representation, young Black people to see this up on the screen, young people in general to see this uh, portrayed on the screen because there are so many people that are young and active in BLM, for example. But also for people who are not Black to understand that this is something that just happens all of the time. You can be walking down the street with a friend and having a heated discussion, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're about to be taken down by a cop. Uh, Just Mm. because you're, you look like how you look. So it's, I I just think that there's a lot of nuance that's happening to this show as well. um, With this plot line and other plot lines.
2: Yeah. And I I think that could be an interesting segue too, because of the subtleties. And something that I was thinking about a lot um, is that this, this, this episode also officially, I think, introduces the idea of the, the, the GRC the global reparations committee mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, a government organization who's trying to essentially re you know reincorporate the the people who were blipped out back into their lives through through um, assistance through anything they need etc cetera, etc cetera. and then we have of course the, the flag matches are also very clearly against this idea because it's just like they're, they're the the thing that's said is just like the moment these people come back it's like they forgot about the rest of us and there's such subtlety in there one the idea that, yeah, I, I guess, I guess if it's if it's white people going to be also included in reparations, the government's fine with freaking doing it then. Um, so that part of it for me, and then the other part of it too—the idea that, like, oh well, they're going to forget about us. They're they're giving these other people now these like essentially a handout. There's subtlety in there that I think I found really really fascinating and interesting, and Absolutely. I. I I have to assume it's on purpose but like the moment I heard that they called it the global reparations committee and that the comment by the Mm -hmm. flag smashers I was like (laughs) yes I feel like there is there is that subtle layer here happening which I feel is is really fascinating and really interesting um, especially in modern context
0: Before we get into the flag masters, I do want to talk briefly about the the therapy session. Uh, Unfortunately, it seems like R.I.P. Dr. Felthy, at least for a little bit, because via executive order, Bucky's no longer going to therapy. (laughs) Uh, But I think I totally agree with what you both said, that the the session between them, which was essentially couples counseling, was really well done. And I want to go to Bucky's sort of like little monologue that he has staring at Sam, because Throughout this episode, I mean, Bucky makes his encounter with Sam in this series, just like walking up and basically saying, how dare you give away the shield, right? And so for a while in this episode, at least I was under the context of, okay, Bucky's just angry because, you know, Sam uh, or Steve gave you the shield and then you gave it away. I, uh, I love S- Steve. He's my friend. I feel like you're sort of like invalidating his legacy. But then you get really deep in what I thought was a very great monologue done by Sebastian Stan. He says, Steve believed in you. He trusted you. He gave you that shield for a reason. He gave you that shield and you threw it away like it was nothing. So maybe he was wrong about you. And if he was wrong about you, then he was wrong about me. And then it all connects, right? It's not just Bucky wanting to defend his friend who may or may not be on the moon, LaTanya. It's about him second-guessing himself this is a guy who believed in me, but if his track record is proven wrong, does that mean he could be wrong about my own rehabilitation?
1: For sure. It was a really great moment. The entire therapy scene was great. The turn that Dr. Felfi did in terms of making this more couples therapy, like using those techniques in order to draw out their emotions, I thought was really great. The 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 closeness, like physical closeness mm-hmm. of the two of them uh, making them both uncomfortable, but also kind of like sit there with their own truths was great. And yeah, I mean, when you are someone like Bucky and you were, you know, a winter soldier, there aren't going to be a lot of people out there who, A, are still alive from, you know, the time that you were, uh, you know, young. Um, probably everyone that he knew other than Steve is gone. Um, that wasn't like a Hydra agent that was trying to, you know, electrocute him into remembering the keywords or whatever it was that they were doing. <laughs> so, you know, there's probably one person in the entire world that Bucky thought believed in him and that was Steve. And now Steve is gone. And if, you know, he's wrong about Sam, then he's wrong about me is just such a, like a, a poignant kind of shot that uh, any of us could could feel you know when we feel like uh the person that we care about most is gone and they they could have been wrong about how they saw the world so it's it was really well acted it was really well responded to i thought by um by uh sam as well in the scene um i think that sam kind of has a bit of a realization there that's more quiet where he starts to understand Bucky more as a, a person and that's going to be integral to them working together in the future. They seem closer and more bonded after that therapy as well. Um, again, just all part of how important it is to normalize showing therapy and therapeutic sessions on TV and ones that aren't just about a mobster <laughs> sitting down <laughs> to talk to his therapist and getting a Sun Tzu book about how to be better at organized crime.
2: What I also like about this is that it shows the, the, the characters being open to the stuff like as they go right being open to the therapy and doing the things that that the therapist is asking to do so many times in these in, in shows therapists are portrayed as just like trying to stop the person from being who they want to be or all this other nonsense or like the, the the main character the character that you're supposed to be the pov like pushing against the therapy and like being like this is a waste of time and then like never doing the stuff that's asked. And I like the idea of showing therapy here as a positive thing that's actually doing doing what it what, what therapy does for people. It actually yeah. helps and people should be going, everyone should be going to therapy. Um, and so, like that, I really like. I like that they did that. I like that they had that. I like that the closeness between the two characters also didn't become a joke immediately. Right? Like, there's they could have easily done the usual thing where if two guys get close together, they'll make like a you know like some sort of like anti LGBTQIA you know a plus uh, a joke or something like yeah. like some kind of like quote unquote like no homo or whatever. Um and I'm glad that it wasn't there. Like they 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 weren't super close to, to when they first turned, but then they got close to each other. It didn't become like a weird thing. It was about like. The reasons that they felt uncomfortable wasn't their physical proximity, but their emotional, you know, stuff. I think all of that stuff was, again, subtly done in this and I think works really, really well. And uh, it, it normalizes the things that need to be normalized a little bit more, especially in fiction.
1: As well as therapy with vets, I mean, vets in therapy like soldiers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this therapist in particular talked about how effective she was in the field. Uh, so she understands what it's like to be a soldier. Um, So I, I think that it's it's well played and it's not just a normalization of therapy for people. It's more of a call for we need to get people who are in combat into therapy. Like mm. we need to provide the resources for people who have gone through those types of traumatic experiences. They may not be as traumatic as being a hundred and six year old super soldier. Uh, but, you know, still, like, combat therapy is something that's uh, very important and, and needs to be funded and needs to be available widely to people who are vets.
2: Well, so, uh, that's what Bucky's doing, though, right? Like, I think there there is a direct parallel because combat vets especially killed people under orders. And yeah. Bucky did, too. He, he had no control over it and mm. he killed people under the orders of others. Where does that sit with you when it's all over? How does that affect you when it's all over? And I think there is a really, really close parallel to like what he went through, despite like, yeah, you know, that there are the things that, that, that grandiose, grandiose, that make it bigger, you know, than, <laughs> than, than just the usual, but the, the subtleties is there. And I think that's really great. And I think that's, that's, that's the story they're going to try and tell here. And I think that's great. Um, and also you know, just if we're on the subject of Bucky, like I said, this is a great version of Bucky. I love the death of the, the the character we're getting. Yes, he does the brooding stare, but man, is that brooding stare working for him? Uh, <laughs> like those moments where he, like <laughs> when they're in the back of the jeep and he's just staring at John. Wow, like what a great moment! It's just so uh, the humor there is really great. The brooding Bucky, it's like Angel and Buffy. I think the best version <laughs> of, of of Angel is also where they acknowledge. The like somewhat absurdity of his broodingness, where it becomes sort of <laughs> a joke in and of itself. Like they do that a lot in the Angel show, especially, and to to great effect. And I think we're seeing that here, and it's awesome. It works really, really well um, for these characters. It's like Spike and Angel. That's the best version of those two characters mm, is when they're yeah, together and when they're true. just the tension between them too. Like if we're t- we're talking about like the you know the, the, sh- the possible shipping that can happen. I mean, Spike and Angel definitely did. That's that's confirmed, but. Like, you see that here, that sort of, like, relationship between the two with Sam and Bucky, and I think it works so well. It just, there's, there's chemistry. And I think that chemistry, it, you really, you really feel it. You really feel it permeating through everything.
0: So, on that note, you mentioned John Walker, and we talk about that chemistry. Let's throw another element into the equation here. Because we gotta focus, much like the first part of the episode proper did, on this new character. He comes with buddies. He comes with strings (laughs) attached. I mean, the cold open really surprised me in so many ways. In that, like, we we saw this guy square-headed smile at the end of the first episode, and we start this next episode with him, like, sort of doing that Bucky brooding in the locker room, or at least being, you know, having stage fright. I loved everything about this opening uh, from the take on the Star Spangled Man with a Plan song like them doing the 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 marching band version of it which slapped AF was <laughs> so great and the and the fact that like he actually it seems like he actually I'm does dead.
1: I can't finish this podcast because <laughs> yeah.
2: I've died John- that definitely just killed both of us
0: <laughs> but so John Walker has so many things in common with Steve Rogers in that moment right because didn't Steve Rogers also have that idea when he was first trotted out in the first Avenger of like I just want to go on the battlefield. Like, I just want to throw my shield around. I don't want to do the parade here. But at, at least my read into the scene was that we saw this trepidation from John Walker so that when he was a huge D bag later on in the episode, at least from my vantage point, it shows how absolute power can corrupt absolutely, right? Like when you are the guy who's saying like, Oh yeah, I have the power to end your therapy, Bucky, that there's a guy that certainly is, has some depth there, but it also shows that hey, when you're when you're being given the Captain American shield and basically like any power outside of the red tape to do what you want to do, you might get a little bit of a big head about yourself.
2: I, you know, I might get flack for this, but I I, I kind of like John Walker, guys. Like I I was <laughs> surprised by the opening, especially. I think the opening did a lot of heavy lifting into setting up who this character is and yes, he was a jerk later, yes, there's going to be problems, and there's the, the subtle stuff as well, right? But I really, this is so weird to say, but I, I really want them to take this character slightly differently than the way we might expect. Mm-hmm. The, the, the mm-hmm. obvious way is to make him like the douchebag, is to make him entitled, is to make him like um, the, the villain at the end. But I feel like the, that note, that, that line at the beginning, everyone in this world expects me to be something, I think is, is incredible and can do so much for where this character can end up and like make it almost like a tragic character because you have, you have this idea that he's been given the shield, you know um, for little comic book stuff. Again, John Walker, uh, which I in, in here, my name is captain Jim bean, obviously the joke on Johnny Walker, but uh, <laughs> the, the character becomes captain America after Steve, I believe steps away, but he specifically was created to be sort of the opposite of Steve. Right. Um, Where Steve is from Brooklyn. He's from, uh, you know, the the country in the South. Um, There's so much about him that's supposed to like unparalleled. He's a little more hard-edged than Steve. He he has different ideals where Steve is so like, you know, traditional. Um, There's a lot that he shoots with a gun. Uh, These are all the little things that are really make him different. Uh, But you see the hints in there. You see the idea and even Steve was not a soldier, right? He became a soldier after he became Captain America this guy was a soldier who has become Captain America there's a lot there that's in the oppositeness but I think there is a little stuff that's there he's trying to live up to ideals that were presented to him right that were that that were showed by Steve he's using a gun but he didn't merc the guy immediately like Steve definitely killed some people in World War 2 but like he didn't like shoot the guy in the head uh, he was there when uh, Battlestar got knocked off I liked that he threw his shield to protect him where he could have mm-hmm. easily been like a car will catch him there's a lot of the small stuff he does that I think is really great and I hope they continue with to to keep the character different from steve but standing for something good still a lot of people loved john walker in the comics i did not because i found him too much of the I, you know i shoot people and i do all this stuff and he's a little more like i'm more of the anti-hero captain america and i yeah. have really problems with that people wanted him to be the punisher and my feelings in the punisher particular um but i i think they might be going i hope they're going a little bit different here because while he is a jerk to Bucky and, and Sam and Sam have all right to also be really mad about what's happening here. It's sort of not his fault. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like it, it, he's, he's given a responsibility to be like, we want you to be the next captain America. And he's a person who has served and he's like taking up an honor. And for him, he he's really trying to live up to it. And you have the two people who were closest to Steve also now being just like, sure. You man, we don't yeah. need you. You don't deserve this. And it's, it's, it, it, when you have, so much of people in the world expecting you to be something and you're not, that can be a lot of pressure. Like I come from an immigrant family when it comes to pressure, I get it. Like there's a lot yeah. there and like that can wear on you and, and really hurt when you're, when you feel like you're doing something great and you have so many people that, that like push against it because it, 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 I think the effects are interesting. I think the characters being set up to can at least can be interesting in the comics. I mean, I can see a trajectory in the comics. Um, he is also given Super soldier Serum, so he has powers from the go. Yeah. He doesn't here. He does not have the powers here, right? Yeah, I found that well, very interesting, yeah. He, well, I mean, he Do can we know that sh- for sure?
0: Well, I yes. mean, he, he, he can chuck that shield like nobody's business, but I mean, he, he came right out right and said, uh, despite the Iron Man 2-like start, I am not Tony Stark, I'm not Bruce Banner, I'm not Steve Rogers, I'm just a guy who, like, is in the peak of physical and mental wellness. And... Mm-hmm.
2: Let me correct, too, when they say he got the super soldier serum, and this is where, spoilers, possibly, if you don't want to know where things could be going. Mm, people like theorizing. This is a theory I think is sound, just because the pieces are all there. Um, in the comics, he doesn't have powers to begin with. Instead, he goes and gets powers. Uh, from someone else someone who deals in powers someone mm. who was name dropped in this very episode Ooh. oh the power the power broker, broker. yeah those, and those were the people
0: that were chasing after the flag smashers at the very yeah. end the people in the
2: suits yeah. so in the comics sean walker got his powers from the power broker all of a sudden we have a guy who's trying to live up to the ideal of captain america but sees that he can't do so if he does not have powers it gets a pretty clear line that by the end of the series, John Walker probably will get powers, possibly from the power broker. What this will do to him, where it will lead him, this is the power corrupting, right? This is where you could lead to that 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 storyline. So I do think there's things there. This is a theory I feel like is pretty sound. It's not out there. I'm not talking about mutant showing up. Although maybe he's dealing in mutant growth hormones. If we want to go there, that's where the powers are coming from. Woo!
0: Theory is crazy. crazy. Anyway. Well, yeah, last episode, he's going to trade the shield to Mephisto
1: for yes. unlimited <laughs>
0: magical power.
1: Chappelle's gonna be so happy about this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but <laughs> but like,
1: the theories.
2: <laughs> it's 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 all there, you know, and I think that stuff is really interesting. You even have Battlestar, who I also believe in the comics gets powers from the power broker. So you, you have both of them who are taking on the mantle of essentially uh, Captain America and Bucky, but not calling him Bucky because there's specific reasons in the comics why that happened. Yeah. Um, and reality. Um, and he's <laughs> Battlestar. Uh, so, you have that also parallel, right? Like now you have a Sam and Bucky and you have like, you know, John and, and uh, Lamar, like th- it is there. <laughs> like, uh, I, I think that's really interesting. The stuff that they're setting up with these characters and where they could go, but I didn't think I was going to say it just because also I'm not a huge fan of him in the comics from what I've read. But I, I
1: kind of really like John Walker at the moment. Wow. I mean, I, I want to believe I'll say it that way. You know, I <laughs> right, want yeah. to like John Walker, he seems to have all of the trappings of a character that I would, I would like, you know, he's got a black best friend. His partner is black. <laughs> he's just like out there, you know, high fiving people and, and being modest about his abilities. But, uh, I'm not sure. I hmm. don't know. There's something I, I would probably give John Walker that Bucky stare if I could. There's just something about him that, that is off and you wonder. Uh, one, you know, like if you're chosen by the U.S. government and this kind of like propaganda machine, um, like how many people have you killed? Like what have you done in order to get this job? Uh, but also, you know, just kind of like the idea that surrounding yourself with people of color doesn't mean that you get that experience of actually like living and being a person of color. And then you. I, this isn't his fault necessarily that the United States government chose him over Sam to be the new Captain America but it is a fact that it did happen. So he's going to have to reckon with a lot here. Um and you know he was getting his butt kicked just as badly as as uh, Sam and Bucky were by the superpowered flag smashers. So I I I'm interested to see what happens with his character. I think it's too soon for me to call whether or not I actually am rooting for this guy, but, you know, because he's on this show and because initially he does seem to be on the side that we're supposed to identify with, I I want to believe Absolutely. that he good.
0: And Wyatt, and Wyatt Russell also, I think, has exactly. put in a, a really interesting performance so far, right? Like, maybe it's just, like, the actor's natural mm-hmm. charisma makes you think, like, yeah, it's a little awkward when he tries to offer a ride, but, like, he's doing his best, guys. Come on, <laughs> just just give him something. But, yeah, there's it, it, there's even small things like the fact that he's super clean-shaven in the first scene, and then in the last scene, when he's honking that police siren, he's got, like, a little bit of scruff going on, right? Does that indicate that maybe there's a bit something quite literally hairy to this guy, I'm <laughs> I'm intrigued by the Battlestar situation. Is this like a survivor reward thing where it's like, all right, you get to bring one person with you to be your sidekick? Like, all right, well, right, I'm going to choose my guy Hoskins. I, I just wonder how, because it seemed like Lamar says right, like, oh, two weeks ago we were uh, we were just getting people ready for like a special ops mission. Now we're working together. Obviously, we know that uh, that that uh, that Walker was picked up here. Was Hoskins just sort of like? Was this part of the Ryder deal? Was he
2: also <laughs> recruited? I mean, I, I assume that also because like they established that they are that they are you know allies in combat and everything, and so in, in the in the show, I, I feel like John could have been like he, he comes with me, uh, my, bu- my 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 partner. We need someone in the field that we know each other really well enough. So I feel like there's that in the comics. He he was part of of, of an organization whose whose abbreviation was B U C K. So that he was a Bucky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so like that, that, that's how that happened in the comics and stuff. Uh, but I, yeah, I, and, and, I'm interested to see their interplay a little bit more. I, I'm curious where the show's going to go with it. Like Latanya, I just, yeah, I want to be rooting for him, I think. And I yeah. want to have a little bit more than maybe what is going to be, I think the obvious trajectory. I'm just, I'm it's it's just interesting and curious. I just, I yeah. came in expecting one thing and I got something else and I'm happy about that. It's um, Wyatt
1: Russell's performance. I mean, you know, he, yeah. He tried out for the role of Captain America, I think, was his first audition, like, IRL. Um mm. So it's interesting now that he's playing the new Captain yeah, America. America.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and I also think that the Harry situation could just be... Why Russell? I don't know if you all have seen that's him true. in other things, but he normally
0: has just has like beard. huge yeah, that's beard. Why it's so it's so weird <laughs> to see him clean shaven. right? I'm sure it's he's yeah. weird for himself to see himself clean shaven. Uh, and so he it's just- they, he clearly got like a
1: nice, very expensive haircut going on. He's got like some product in there. The sideburns are like all gelled down. He's you know he's gonna get to put some some finger waves in there next maybe. Yeah, but, like, <laughs> but yeah, I mean we it's it's part of the chariz- the charisma i think of of why russell as a performer like he's he just is a guy on screen that you want to like which yeah. i think could be very interesting if they're setting him up to be a villain
0: right it's, i think he very much could span the game right now of either overeager puppy or mm-hmm. like super villain cuz i do think especially the stuff at the end right of him being like yeah i paid bucky's bail. like just the like the eye roll that sam produces when he sees that that walker was behind all of this very much seems to be that tone of you know uh, the character that really wants to get in there, almost like Buddy in the first few minutes of The Incredibles, right? The person that really wa- really wants to try but just doesn't fit in. We know what happened to Buddy as well, I and mean, we I, I don't. Like we- oh, listen, <laughs> a spoiler alert for The Incredibles uh, does not go well. But I I I think maybe there's a little bit of a tinge of that, and again, maybe I'm reading it too much though. With that, stay the hell out of my way comment. Yeah, well, he also really called himself
1: the U.S. government when they were in the. In the truck, all the way to the airport, he they were talking about hacking Red Wing and mm-hmm. how they found them. And he's like, well, it's property of the government and points to himself, kind of the government. It, it's it's comments like that that yep. make me, that give me pause with this character. Because if you are considering yourself the government uh, embodied in a human and that's kind of what you're being put out there to be, and you're not Steve, I don't
2: trust you. And that's the difference Sam. again. In the in the contrast of where they started, where they ended up, right? Like Steve yeah. again came in with with was this person, and then joined the military to fight in World War II, and and retained that person he was when he was that skinny kid. Uh, John was is a soldier first and foremost. He he is that before picking up the mantle, and I think that's carrying over. He is still, I think, a man given orders. You know, like Steve became Captain America. Uh, at at the at the ire of the government um this is a person the government chose so i think there's a lot there there's a lot there that that i think shows that was contrast that was where the character originally started being a contrast to steve and is carrying over um and you know it's interesting we, we've talked about something like with the power broker being introduced the you know like uh, isaiah and elijah um uh john and, and lamar and it occurs to me I had written this down and I don't know for sure, because if we're about to switch over to the Flag Smashers, we are we are there is something else here because we are introduced to the, the the group, but we're introduced to one specifically, uh, an actress that we've seen in, 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 in some things recently. Uh, mm-hmm. Latanya, especially, I know is very excited, very <laughs>
1: excited about her.
0: Um, you're talking about Aaron Kellyman.
2: Yes, she yes. plays a uh, Carly
0: Morgenthau, who is a gender swap of Carl Morgenthau, which is the, the, again, we talked about this last week, in the comics, it's usually like one singular Flag Smasher. Here it's a group, but I think, like, she's the the leader, I guess, if she has to, if she, if we have to pick one Flag Smasher to be Flag Smasher, it is Carly mm-hmm. in this case. Yeah, it seems
1: like it's her. And she is, if you've seen Solo, she's Infus Nest. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you are thinking of what you might recognize her from, uh, she's a British actress that mm. I was really intrigued by when I saw her in solo. Just her whole look is very different. And like, it's interesting that there is a young woman who is the, uh, presented so far as like the primary, uh, the leader of the group of the primary antagonists for this show, as opposed to, um, just Zemo, which is kind of what I was expecting. I, I thought, you know, from the, uh, the trailer and everything, and the way that it was presented that Zemo was going to be in charge of the Flag Smashers, but it turns out it's not. It's Erin Kellyman. And she's doing a really great job here. Won me over immediately when she was, when Bucky thought that she was a, a hostage. And then she just gives him that huge smile and kicks him out of the truck.
0: I love it. I mean, that's, that's indicative, right, of exactly what you're speaking about, how, how cool this casting is that you think, okay, she is this like smaller framed, meek, younger girl. And then she one punches Bucky out of a truck <laughs> like that just shows how with with a lot of these. And I feel like especially as of late with a lot of these Marvel villains, it's coming in unexpected packages. And we're seeing it here that the leader of essentially a terrorist organization is is someone that you would expect would be the one actually being kidnapped by said organization.
2: They're freedom fighters. Yes, yeah, they're the Robin Hood. <laughs> uh, always a good set of words. Um, Yeah, I am. I am a sucker. For like the, the 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 super strength without realize like you, the the unexpected super strength, I guess the best way to put it, mm-hmm. it's a trope in anime, especially where it's like um like a younger looking skinny female, and all of a sudden it's just like boom, and it's just like that person goes flying, you know? The lightning, they're, they're just surprise lightning bruiser, basically. Like I'm a sucker for that trope, whether it be like you know like cute girl or like small boy. Like there's just something interesting about that that contrast, right? <laughs> yeah, where the you're the just like didn't expect that, right? Yes. <laughs> right except curlin is the worst even though he's the smallest um but like yeah i i, I really i really like that trope so it was it was cool to see this here and it's interesting because like this is the inverse of the flag smasher right the the the, the character mm-hmm. who's carl but there's another carl because like once they once they said because i don't think they said it in the first episode but they said power broker here which is interesting because there's also another carl that's associated with the power broker in that it's Carl Malus which is again mm. very close to the names here um who is a the scientist the doctor who creates the serum that essentially is being given to uh the people to give them these powers uh Carl Malus is also the person associated to another marvel series this time the netflix one it is a doctor who experimented on jessica jones uh in there so there's oh. there's a lot that's 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 interesting that could go um so i'm interested to see where some of that stuff plays out if they're going to somehow fuse this character or because like they you know uh um uh carly got that text about like you stole it from me i'm gonna kill yeah, you so, <laughs> yeah. so
0: so on that note do you do you think that might be malice because it's also of note that carl malice is did genetic engineering including in the comics uh merging Joaquin Torres's DNA with that of Redwing yes. the Hawk and turning him into the essentially like a freaky deaky falcon
1: which is wild that that is a thing that occurred yeah,
0: <laughs> that, that
2: they mean, had a That's not even the falcon. wildest thing in comics
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I bet it's not but that the, the, the Redwing was actually like a telepathic bird he also
0: was vampiric at the time his DNA was merged with Joaquin Torres as well like, oh, What are course. we doing i love it but uh, i think the weirdest thing
2: in comics is still comet the super horse that's probably the weirdest thing in comics (laughs) to me but
0: uh to to go back to what you said before kevin what i really appreciated from the perspective and we'll get into this with feedback in a little bit i I think that the opinion is maybe a bit split on the flag smashers at this moment some feel that maybe it's a little too heavy-handed with with the big bad some feel it might you know they feel like it might be a bit more for lack of a veteran fair and balanced with this depiction but the, the specific dialogue that Aaron, or motivational speech that Aaron was giving to the people in that hostel, right, essentially feeling like they got passed over in honor of people who stepped into the spotlight, to be completely candid, that was sort of a narrative that propagated a lot of lower income people in rural areas in the United States over the past five years specifically. Right, this Mm -hmm. idea of like you have been forgotten about. Here comes this person to sweep in and fight for your rights to make sure that you are not forgotten in lieu of other people. That's what the flag smashers are putting forward here, right? It seems like their plan is they're going through refugee refugee camps. You know, they're they're trying to essentially uh, the reason why they want to bring the world the way it was to pre blip was not necessarily for. Uh, power thing but more so for again for the robin comparison from their perspective more even distribution of attention
2: yeah well i mean i guess a bunch of new people showed up who are getting handouts through reparations that they feel those people maybe don't deserve and you know they're suffering from a lot of economic anxiety or something i don't know um <laughs> who knows where that's all coming from uh but- yeah, this- yeah, it's it's real interesting economic anxiety, but um, no, it it it's it's there that I think that, that resonates for for certain people, and I don't think yes, the comparison is very clear about like the people overlooked, right? Like, oh, we're the underrepresented, and I think those parallels are meant to be there for sure. Uh, but I'm again, I I am curious about where they're gonna head with the flag smashers. What they, are they gonna do with these characters? Because it could just it could be the red herring, the setup to again make John the ultimate villain. If they are the ultimate villain, like sure, that's fine too. Um, but they are the most, I think, uh, unknown quantity. I think mm. in terms of like trajectory um, to me, just because we don't have enough yet. Uh, but I am very curious to see where it plays out, especially now they bring the power broker stuff in. Uh, you know, they bring the idea of just like th- the the wholesale of superpowers.
0: Latanya, what what are your thoughts about the flag smashers? Two episodes in, do do you think is this going to become like a? a well sketched out organization to kevin's point do you think these are going to stay the big bads by episode 6 that everyone's fighting against
1: i'm not sure that they will uh, i i i'm kind of interested to see what they do with them because they're they're not as well fleshed out so far as i w- I, I would hope that they would be they're it's more of kind of a, like a nebulous group that we're being just introduced to I'm interested to see how Zemo kind of fits in with all of this, like the introduction of the name of the power broker. Like what exactly is that person going to have to do with villainy going forward? But it, in terms of, I guess who Sam and Bucky view as the, as the big bads of this show so far, it is the flag smashers. So they've got to do more for me to kind of like, uh, to suss out exactly like what this group has is doing what they exactly they stand for like what are mm-hmm. the because so far we haven't seen them do very much other than take some money or and or vaccine Uh so we're not that that doesn't give me a lot we've seen them fight but that's just to protect the vaccines that they're taking to a refugee camp so I yeah I need to know more. I need to know more before they're actually the big bad for me.
2: It's also hard to be like these bad guys who are taking vaccines to people who can't <laughs> yes. get them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> these terrible, terrible yeah. people. Well, I want to actually use that to get into a little bit of our feedback from, of course, the great listeners uh, on here on Show Recaps. And we sort of have two people sort of representing the the, the, the masters debate right here. I'll, I'll read one comment from Riley. Who says, "Uh, one thing I really loved in comparison to WandaVision is how much death the villains here are given. The Flag Smashers, uh, what we are seeing of them and their, quote, one world, one people thing. And the fact they are being called Robin Hood by some. Talking about since half the world came back, the ones who stayed are being forgotten. These are villainous figures, but we are fully understanding them and their motivations. They are not cardboard cutouts. On the other side of that, we have Jank who says, being told the Flag Smashers get lots of public support while the show constantly paints them as evil through framing and actions is still a strange, incongruent dichotomy. The problem is they papered over a few actually progressive views on the group, namely open borders and not having faith in the typical elite power structures, but most of the framing is what we would expect for an evil, mindless villain group like Hydra. It is very strange to me, but like the scene where the guy is sacrificing himself, there was sinister music blaring. Such a strange choice if you want to make them sympathizable at all. And, and that's an interesting note, in my opinion, that Jenk makes in that last mm-hmm. scene, right? When they're flying away, maybe assumingly with, with more supply, surprise, more su- surprise and supplies, uh, in which, you know, this one guy says, I'm going to sacrifice myself. You see Carly clearly, I think, so, you know, uh, sympathetic towards losing the people. She clearly is, is, you know, uh, cares a lot about the people who devote themselves to her cause. But yeah, I, I sort of agree with Cenk that at least the scoring in that moment, was yeah. really intriguing to me. It was almost meant to come across like they are evil, despite the fact that what they think they're doing is good. I well, wasn't sure if
1: that scoring was for the flag smasher
2: that that was pushing the down, down the power. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, or that's the power point. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, there is. I I, I agree with Jank because, like, for me, like, well, Riley, it's, it's 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 like what's being said makes sense, but what's being shown contradicts it, and I think that's also to like your point, Latanya, about like not really feeling connected to them or or their depth yet is because they haven't shown it. They've only told us and storytelling show. Don't tell. When you have Hmm. a character or characters in this case as introduced and while we see people, we see them robbing something we don't know at the beginning in the first episode and beating up our hero. And then we see them essentially show up after, you know, again, stealing a bunch of stuff, getting beat up, beating up the heroes, but then show up and have people be like, oh, thank you. We're so happy for the things you've done. You've done this. Remember that? Like expository uh, dialogue about like what they've done and like we're going to give you room and board. There's so many people that support you, but there's no... They've talked about their ideals, but they haven't shown those ideals. If they showed us distributing those vaccines to a refugee camp directly, they showed us doing them. They show people thanking them for what they're doing in that way. That changes their POV. That changes how we can see them. And I think for the, for, for for the for the, the storytelling uh, people behind this, right, the, the showrunners and, and, and writers they're faced with something maybe that is difficult because they're not sure how to tackle this because it is a difficult thing to tackle. They need to portray it that, that these are the bad guys, but the bad guys are standing for something that people stand for and ideally for certain things you shouldn't really stand against. We should not be against giving vaccines to people <laughs> who who need it and can't get it. Like that's a positive. Um but like then if again if you if you sympathize with them too much the, the heroes are fighting them so like it creates confusion in a lot of broad audience viewers and that's the line they're trying to walk but I think can be detrimental here which can be problematic so I, I agree with Jank because they're not doing the job of, of, of showing us why we should be sympathizing with them they're telling us we should be and their morals seem to but they're not showing it so we can't latch onto it and the reason I think they're doing that is because they're faced with a situation where they need to paint these people as the bad guys and to do that you can't have them be too sympathetic
0: Mm. So Luke says to a point that we made before about U.S. agent slash new cap. I don't know if Walker counts as a villain. Sure, he's going up against Sam and Bucky, but he's just doing his job. If anything, you could look at Sam and Bucky as the villains for doing things like trying to work with Zemo, who is a terrorist. And I want to use that to sort of talk a bit about the way this episode ends. I mean, Latanya, is this show going to make Zemo Hannibal Lecter of the Falcon, the Winter Soldier?
1: <laughs> I hope so. I really Hello, do, James.
0: Yeah, just <laughs> given given all of the
1: portrayals of Hannibal that I've seen on television and <laughs> in the movies, please bring Hannibal Lecter to the MCU. Uh, I I don't know exactly what's going to ha- happen with him, uh, other than he's
0: supposed to be a conduit to Hydra. Uh, yeah. Or at least he, because well, remember in this, in Civil War, like, he got his hand on that little red notebook, right, that has a bunch right, of Hydra the- facts in it, because he's, he's completely, he was a free agent in Civil War, he was a Sokovian intelligence agent, so he didn't really have any skin in the game with Hydra, but I think he's the only one left, really, who has access to Hydra intel.
2: Mm. And who knew that there were super soldier serums in existence that were given to other people um, that he then murdered. <laughs> but- yes, he
1: definitely did murder them. Yes, uh, there, there's like a part of the sorry for this, Kevin, but there's like part in uh, one of the previews for the show where they're showing kind of like I think it's Bucky uh, pouring out bullets to kind of like demonstrate that he no longer is susceptible, I think, to like what Zemo tried to do to him in Civil War um, and that he, you know, is not there to like hurt him or anyone else. And it kind of looks like Zemo is not inside a prison cell, cell or uh, so. I'm not really sure. As much as. We talked about this in terms of like the first couple episodes of WandaVision being like, what's happening? Uh, I hmm. think that it's very similar that they're creating the same type of mystery with the first couple episodes of this show as well. Only there aren't as many episodes of this show as there are of uh, WandaVision. And so I'm kind of intrigued as to why we haven't gotten more development about the person that we thought was going to be the big bad of the series who has the most screen time in the MCU. Uh, I don't know, honestly, is my answer. I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm interested to see it. And I hope that we get a lot more of it. Like, I hope that the episodes start to get longer and longer as the show goes on. Um but sure, let him be Hannibal Lecter. Let him be the, the conduit that we go to in prison <laughs> in order to get information.
0: Yeah, Kevin, what are your thoughts about I again it's it's a 30-second glimpse to Cremosa that we see Zemo, but do you have any thoughts as to the role that he's gonna play, especially
2: on the Sam and Bucky side of things moving forward? Um yeah, I, I mean I think there is gonna be the Hannibal Lecter aspect of it be or and, and just get information, but I I'm curious Where he is going to go as well, because he is more of a, he's not, he's not a physical villain. He's a cerebral villain. I mean, that was his whole, his whole thing. And I, I, I love that character and I love what they did with him in, in Civil War. So I'm curious to see how that plays out here. I mean, we could be leading into a situation where if Sam and Bucky are, um, really are working against the government to an extent and are working quote unquote outside the law maybe they break him out of prison for all we know i i, uh, I think
0: that's i think there's a 100 percent chance that's happening yeah. next episode i think i think he's like well if you if you want to use me you must bring me and so they decide to like break him out of the facility <laughs> they're on the run once again now sam said he didn't want to live la vida loca but now they're like straight up ricky martining it now on the run <laughs> from
2: everything <laughs> Yeah, it's it would be uh, full bloom. Um, it would be real interesting about uh, the directions they're going to go here, and I, I'm excited to see how they utilize Zemo, especially because, like, again, we have people that are being painted as the villains for this, but there's there's a lot of possibilities of a lot of different villains and where things where things will end up at the end. And while there are less episodes, I do think. This is working it for me in a little bit of a of a tighter stream um uh of where things can be headed and where things can end up. Um and I'm curious to see. I mean, again, that that that, that we we could trip a few times at finish lines here, but uh I'm I'm loving this trajectory and I'm loving to, yeah. to see where it's gonna go. I'm anticipating each episode uh in the same way for WandaVision, the that that'll be coming and especially for next one because it's Zemo reveal, quote unquote uh and like i said i like that actor and i like that character so <laughs> yes, yeah daniel is good, for me. good.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's great yeah uh, uh go ahead Latonya.
1: no i was just going going to agree with kevin and say that i'm looking forward to next week's episode i hope that we get i hope that we get kind of laid out for us exactly who it is that we are supposed to dislike <laughs> and who it is that we are supposed to be on the side of because we're really we're sprinting toward the end, like you said, we're a third of the way done, and so yeah, yeah, it's about time in that third episode when the, at the halfway point that they really start to like introduce some stakes and let us know what it is that you know f- that Falcon, uh, Falcon, and uh, Bucky are like team Falky. Oh, is after um, shifting, I Falcon. guess it has
0: to be <laughs> Falcon <laughs> into the the dance of the dance of life after they get together. <laughs>
1: I understood that reference uh, exactly. <laughs> like
0: you're gonna break Zima out of prison. Well, of course I will. Don't be ridiculous. Uh, I cannot believe we're at the halfway point. Next next it's episode, but, but I think to, to echo a point that Kevin brought up in the very beginning, you know, I really hope that maybe we sort of do like an Age of Ultron thing where they hide out in in Nola for a hot second, and we get to see mm. a bit more of of Sarah. You know, because I, I do hope that now that we sort of have two very different elements of the show introduced. Now I hope we can sort of pepper things throughout, you know. And it seems like to a point that was made earlier before, even in this episode, we didn't necessarily go up the family tree like we did last episode, but there was still a lot of great personal development going on. I am so pumped for this show, even even two episodes in. I want to finish things off with one last feedback question because I want to end where we started things off. Which would you rather fight, an android, an alien, or a wizard, Kevin? I feel like as a comic book mm. fan, like you've you have this answer probably lock, stock, and barrel from just previous conversations
2: i can imagine probably android i mean i feel like a wizard am i just me like who 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 there's there's a lot of questions (laughs) that have for follow-ups but like yeah wizards wizards have magic right and then rules of magic are unknown so who knows what they're capable of like i you know i won't last long against any of these but you go against you know the the alien for all I know, it's Superman rules. Dude shows up and he's under a yellow sun. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be much that's going to be done. Even then, mm-hmm. if I'm doing Martian Manhunter, we want to go a little bit closer to our own planet. Still not great. The powers of Martian Manhunter are practically equitable to Superman. Um, so that's, that's all bad. So it's more like androids are the default. And I feel like for androids, but also dangerous, I can just be like, query have you heard of the ship of theseus and we can go from there (laughs) so at least i am somewhat set up to to have a way in to be able to fight this i don't know if i'd have kryptonite on hand i don't know if i'd have a a book of counter spells but at least i know the ship of theseus and that might help against that android
0: Wait, Latanya, agree or disagree is android the way to go here in terms of preferable opponent
1: I know that there is a possibility that the alien could turn out to be a Superman or a Martian manhunter, but what if it's just a regular gray? Then I'm just going to chop <laughs> that mm. thing's head off and run in the opposite direction with, <laughs> with, with an android. I am terrified of AI. <laughs> mm. I'm terrified about the potential be. for technology. Just like in my actual life, I try to be nice to Siri whenever I do use her, which is sparingly when my, uh, like, uh, HBO Max says hello, Latanya. I say hi. I just want, I just want to cover all of my bases and welcome our future overlords uh because it's, the it's definitely going to happen. We're just going to AI this and end up in Ex Machina. So yeah, I mean, that and yeah. I, I guess I'm I'm not terrified of a gray too much. Um, I'm not really terrified of a wizard because I'm either also a wizard or a witch. Um, IRL, so you know. I I guess of the big three, I would rather fight an alien.
0: Yeah, I'd go with with alien as well. I guess if I'm going back to like this Star Trek example, you know, would I rather fight Worf or Data? I think I would rather fight Worf because Worf has like humanistic capabilities that I can (laughs) sort of, you know, manipulate to my own will. Whereas like Data, despite him wanting to get an emotional chip, like I can't, I can't work his way into his heart. You know, maybe I'll try to confound him, but like at the end of the day, he's a machine. He could just pursue forward and break my neck. Or if I could probably, I don't know, cause to make some mistakes, make key tactical errors by making him go aggro. So then I take the advantage there.
2: Worf would destroy and demolish you. At least with data, you you data you can lead him to the holodeck and then throw him into a simulation with Sherlock Holmes, and then <laughs> that will just preoccupy him for a while. Like, I mean, we're anything. all gonna
1: die in this, like, in this
2: <laughs> battle.
0: You
1: know, like all we're podcasters yeah. who are like very deep there, in there the
0: might be one one outcome in millions, Latanya, where the oh, podcasters right. prevail here. This Fourteen million six hundred and three. Exactly. But we're happy to be in the one situation right now where we're podcasting about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Again, we're coming back for week number three. Of course, we read some of your feedback. We would love to hear all of your thoughts. Again, there's a lot of just really meaty content being put out here on the show in so many ways. And and we'd love to hear from you, particularly when it comes to a lot of issues that are that are being brought to light. I'm so grateful to be on here with these two lovely individuals to, to bring to light a lot of history from both a, like a, a, literal political perspective and even a comics perspective that are being brought out through Malcolm Spellman and this show. It is a great privilege of mine. And so if you all have any thoughts out there as well, of course, you can write to us super at posherrecaps.com. Uh, you can also tweet at us at Kev Mahadeo, at LK Starks, at a Mike Bloom type. And of course, at posher recaps. We also took a lot of, of feedback through our patron discord. If you are a patron, of post show recaps, which you can sign up for at patreon.com slash post show recaps. Get a lot of privileges. One of them being access to a patron discord where we are doing so many things an innumerable amount, amount of content out there, including day of and many day after discussion on some of these Marvel properties. We are also nearing the beginning of a new month. So I would recommend actually, uh, if you are looking to become a patron, Pull a Bucky, put yourself on ice for like a couple of days until April 1st or 2nd rolls around. That way, you get charged at the beginning of every month, so you don't want you to get charged twice in the same week. But once April rolls around, be sure to invest because one of the other big pieces that comes from being a patron is you get access to exclusive podcasts, including one that our very own Kevin Mahadeo is doing on the recently premiered Mighty Ducks colon Game Changers.
2: That's right. The quack attack is back, Jack, as I start off in my first episode. Uh, It's really exciting. We had a pregame episode and we just did episode one, which which premiered also this week. Um, And I spoiler I really liked it. So definitely if you are a Mighty Ducks fan uh, or if you know a Mighty Duck fan in your life, Uh, direct them our way, join the Patreon, take a listen. It's uh, me and Melissa Woodward, one of our fellow Patreon members uh, who are doing this podcast and we are both big fans of the series uh, of films and enjoying the show so far, so I'm really pumped about that Mm. aspect too.
0: And of course we get a lot of other great uh, content going on on post-show recaps proper including, I got to fill in on a long time to go, the Star Wars podcast this past week to sit down with Brendan Fitzpatrick who is a super duper fan of Star Wars The Clone Wars And I am very new to the show. We got to talk through everything. Uh, Spoiler alert for that. I immensely enjoy the series. It might be my favorite Star Wars content since the original trilogy. So uh, be sure to check that out. We have a spoiler-free section for people who don't know about the show and are looking for reasons to get into it. And then a spoiler-filled section that spoilers the bejesus out of the entire seven-season series. So... Be sure to check that out if you're interested in addition to all of our usual content. But in terms of everything is super, the three of us are going to be back in your feeds next Monday talking about Episode 3, the halfway point of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I cannot wait to see where this goes. Thank you all so much for listening. Kevin LaTanya, thank you both as per usual. We'll be back next week talking Episode 3. Until then, dismissed.